Let's turn together to Psalm 42. We'll read portions out of Psalm 42, a Psalm of David. Let's all rise for the reading of God's word this morning. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember and pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Now verse 9. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words penned by David and how they address us even today. Father, we pray that Psalm 42 will always be a psalm that, that will be upon our lips and in our hearts and minds, especially in times of trial. Thank you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You know, people have been so kind over the past few months to feel how, I, how I'm doing about my impending retirement in about four months. Now, I have my moments of nostalgia uh, which is the reason why having our, my, our daughters sing a little bit more during every time I preach, as well as the other wonderful vocalists we have in our church who I've had the privilege of ministering alongside of over the course of the last uh, 40-something years. Um, the, the nostalgia took a, a giant leap forward just recently when I received a postal communication from our partner missionary organization, Asian Access, about my future. This is the uh, postage, or post card that I got. You notice how it reads? <laughs> Corey Ishida, former senior pastor. <laughs> I looked at that and I go, man, they know something I don't know. <laughs> now, and then last week, a very dear friend of Rain's and, and, and a friend of mine at Atherton saw me as I was leaving our apartment unit. And she is always coming up and saying the nicest things to us. Well, she came to me and said wholeheartedly, I've been praying that you would see Jesus soon. <laughs> and I kind of looked at her and says, I, I've been praying you would see Jesus soon. And then my daughter Sunday was coming behind me. She had been visiting with us. And then she repeated that to Sunday. I, I've been praying for your dad that he would see Jesus soon. I told Sunday later on, I think I just got prayed over with a death wish. <laughs> I prefer the literature from Asian Access. All right. But you know, uh, this, this morning is the first Sunday where I actually felt something about my impending retirement. Because Christmas Sunday has always been one of, my, one of my favorite Sundays. Christmas Sunday and the Christmas Eve service. And there's just something about Christmas Sunday. Easter's wonderful. I mean, every other, every Sunday is special. 
But there's something unique about Christmas Sunday because of the excitement and expectation people have in coming to worship the Lord. And so as we were singing and as things were being done, I actually started to get choked up. And I wonder, I hope I can make it through the message this morning. And it's really the first Sunday where I felt like this is maybe my last time preaching on Christmas Sunday. And I think that actually impacted me emotionally this morning. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Well, today's 4070 message is a very different kind of Christmas message. I pondered what to preach on my final Sunday, uh, Christmas Sunday here at Evergreen SGV, and I believe the Holy Spirit convicted me to preach a message I had been wanting to preach for years now, but I've refrained from preaching it because it could be construed as a very sad message. But I felt like, no, I think this is a Sunday I'm supposed to preach this message. And it's entitled, When Someone is Missing at Christmas. When Someone is Missing at Christmas. You know, at some point in time, we will all experience a Christmas when a loved one is permanently missing for the very first time, and then repeated times thereafter. It's a very common experience. In fact, I would venture to guess that almost everyone here has already experienced it one way or another. That is, someone is missing at Christmas. I remember my first Christmas without my dad. Now, that's just a... a, a foggy memory, and I think part of it's because I shut it out of my mind. Then without my mom and then my sister, that's much more vivid in my mind. And Christmas has never been the same since their passing. You know, Christmas is filled with grief triggers, grief triggers, a missing face on a Christmas card, a missing voice while caroling with the family, an empty chair at the dinner table, a Christmas stocking with their name on it. One less present to give and one less present to receive. Those, those all trigger grief and mourning in our hearts and our minds. I hope this message will be made available or archived and available for anyone who is about to experience someone missing Christmas. Now, this message is also very specifically applicable to a loved one who knew the Lord and is now missing at Christmas time. There's an outline available from the ushers, 12 Ways of Christmas for the Grieving by uh, Ruth, Stacy Ruth Stoltling from Christian Broadcasting Network. And I was gonna put it on the back of the outline, but not everybody gets the outline. So if you'd like one of the copies of those, of the little pamphlet, or it's actually uh, 12 steps or 12 things, you can get it from the ushers on the way out. The first thing to remember when someone is missing at Christmas is to commiserate and don't insulate. Commiserate and don't insulate. Now commiserate means to feel or to express sympathy. To feel or to express sympathy, whether you receive it, that's when you feel it, or you express it when you're supporting somebody who is going through a difficult time. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter one. 2 Corinthians chapter one. Verses three to four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This is a tremendous passage of instruction for us as believers. It teaches us God's immense love for us and how much he cares for us and cares about us in the times when we have tremendous needs. 
like when someone is missing at Christmas. And how as God gives us that comfort from above, we can then comfort others, which requires us to commiserate and not to insulate. You know, there's a, there's a, a feeling after losing a loved one that you just don't want to bother with Christmas, or at least the trappings of Christmas, the celebrations of Christmas, because you're afraid that you're going to miss them all the more. I think it's important, important to commiserate and not insulate. Here's a principle to, uh, to learn and to discover and to hold on to. Here's the principle. Everyone suffers and grieves differently. Everyone suffers and grieves differently. And so whereas some people can put on a Christmas celebration and be joyful and happy and wear a hat, special hat, or uh, something that lights up around their neck, and you wonder, why aren't they grieving? Remember, everyone grieves differently. So we shouldn't be judging people on how they carry themselves during something like a Christmas season. Nancy Stordahl, who wrote books and blogs after she was afflicted with cancer, wrote this. The main thing to remember is just like everyone grieves differently, how you feel about the holidays will also be as individual as you are. They might not even be difficult for you. Sometimes ordinary days are the hardest, not holidays. Everyone grieves differently. So we should always take ourselves out of the seat of judgment as we view someone who should be going through a period of mourning and grief. And that's also the reason why only the Lord can minister to everyone as they individually grieve and suffer when someone is missing at Christmas. So when loss first happens, commiserate, don't isolate. When Job lost everything, his friends came to mourn with him, and that was a good thing. They sat in sackcloths and ashes next to him. It only became problematic when his friends tried to explain his losses to him, why they happened. That's when it went kind of sideways. But allow your friends to come and sit beside you and to be with you in times of mourning and suffering. While in seminary, I was studying loss and grief, and the professor told a personal story. And this is a story he told. They had just lost a child at a very young age, and they were consumed with grief, especially with impending holidays coming. And so they knew, being part of the body of Christ and the church, that it's important to let people to come and comfort them. And so they allowed it. They opened their home up and people came to visit them. But nothing seemed to help them. Nothing. Uh, people were kind and generous. They cooked for them. But nothing, nothing filled that hole that they were feeling at the loss of their little child. And then several days later, a couple comes over. And they, could, they came over several days later because they had to travel a great distance to make this visit. And they came, they knocked, they rang at the door, and they opened the door, they stepped into the thre- over the threshold, and in a moment, at the twinkling of an eye, they just embraced and they cried, and they cried, and they cried for what seemed like hours, according to the professor. They said, they didn't say a word. What had happened was this couple had also lost a child at the same stage of life. And all the couple did was to come over and commiserate or cry with their friends. And the professor said in that moment that the Lord seemed to wash away the darkness of their grief 
and allow them to begin a journey of healing and restoration. Commiserate, don't isolate. Allow yourselves to be in the arms of others, your church family, your family. Commiserate, don't isolate. Secondly, celebrate, don't isolate. I, I, I mixed up the terms. Commiserate, don't insulate. Celebrate, don't isolate. Now, they're synonyms anyway. All right. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Beginning with verse 9. Ecclesiastes, in the, toward the middle of the Bible, on the other side of the book of Psalms. Look at verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls where there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. God is very clear about the tremendous value of being with others, in partnership with others. You see, people were not created to suffer in solitude. God didn't make us that way. We're not made to be alone when we are suffering. We are not made to be alone when someone is missing at Christmas. And one of the things we can do so as we're not alone during that moment of celebration is to make sure we celebrate with our loved ones and not isolate. Now you may need to adjust your celebration, but don't shut down your celebrations. Do not neglect celebrating Christmas with your loved ones. Continue your traditions or begin new ones. Put up the lights, put up the tree. Hang your stockings, you could include your loved one or maybe not. Have your traditional Christmas breakfast or your traditional Christmas dinner. Gather together, don't isolate. Because when your family comes together, you're more than a court of three. You're a court of many. And that really helps during a time of mourning and grief while you're trying to celebrate Christmas. Allow the Lord to minister to you as you celebrate. Now, it's not going to feel quite the same, but it's still Christmas. Remember who and what we are celebrating. We are celebrating the birth of the Son of God who came into the world for one express purpose, to die for our sins. That the world just doesn't end here on earth. But, but we have an eternal destiny awaiting us. We are celebrating the one who conquered sin and death. And if we confess him as Savior and Lord, there will be this incredible reunion someday. And after teaching on this subject at our branch, our branch ministry, I have a Wednesday night branch ministry, and sometimes I, I, I preface the, or I give an introduction of the message I'm going to preach and have them critique it. I received an email from J.K. Lee, who's one of our members. His beloved wife, Beverly, passed away on July 22nd, 2016. That's a J.K. wrote an email to me after the study, and this is what he wrote. After Bev's homegoing, I was not planning to send Christmas cards. I didn't want to think about her not being here. I was seeing a Christian grief counselor and reading daily devotions for Christians who were in the grieving process. A couple of devotions dealt with why it was important to maintain the family's Thanksgiving and Christmas celebration. It talked about Christmas reminds us faith is at the heart of Christmas 
The hope of Christmas is our hope of heaven and memories of our loved ones. As a result, my kids helped me put together a Christmas photo remembrance of our memories of Bev as a part of our Christmas celebration. The memories of Bev reminded us the hope we have of seeing her again. Now, I really like what the Lee family wrote on their Christmas card. And this is, a, this is their Christmas card on the screen. This is what they wrote. Around the Christmas heart, there is an empty chair this year. And yet our hearts are hopeful, though the season's bittersweet. Because we know the one we love, wife, mother, and grandmother, has filled another seat. For another banquet table abounds with joy and love for those who have made the journey to be with our Savior, Jesus Christ, above. This Christmas season, may you celebrate the faith that is at the heart of Christmas, the hope that lies ahead in heaven, and the love of those we hold in our arms and in our memories. We should all do as the Lee family did. They chose to celebrate rather than isolate. Commiserate, don't insulate. Celebrate, don't isolate. Thirdly, talk to self. Talk to self. There's a comic strip character who is notorious for listening to himself. His name is Charlie Brown. If you can't read what's on this particular cartoon cell, it says, Dear mind, please stop thinking so much at night. I need to sleep. That's Charlie Brown. Now, Charlie Brown is always thinking and listening to himself. Now, that little bubble over his head, it looks like he's talking, but what he's really doing is articulating what he's thinking and feeling. He's listening to himself. And by and large, we human beings tend to listen to ourselves far too much. From the moment we get up in the morning, we listen to ourselves. Every once in a while, we need to stop, pause, and talk to self rather than just listen to self. Here's a principle. Talk to self rather than listen to self. Talk to self rather than listen to self. Now turn to Psalm 42, which was read this morning. This psalm was written in a moment and in a time of despair and desperation. It was written in the light of agonizing emotions and a tremendous sense of loss. And so through part of it, David listens to himself. Look at verse 3, Psalm 42, 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, it sounds like he's talking, right? But what he's doing is he's really listening to what's going on inside of himself. And he writes about it. He cries out, where is your God? Have you ever felt that way in your life? Have you suffered a great loss? And your tears wonder, where are you, God? You lose something. You lose, you lose a job. You lose a relationship. Where are you, God? Self is asking the question from deep within, where are you, God? And that's a question that comes from within. Now, David begins to talk to self in verses 5 and 11. Look at verse 5. Where are you in... Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. You see the difference? He's not listening to himself and what's going on inside. He's talking to himself. 
Verse 11, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. Sort of says the same thing, slightly different. He is talking to himself. There's a difference in the language and in the intensity of what he's saying. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a tremendous preacher back in the day. And he wrote a book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. And this is what he wrote. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Have you realized that, the mo that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Someone, somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Then Jones refers back to Psalm 42. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Do you know what I mean? If you do not, you have but little experience. So David, in the midst of that psalm of, of suffering, see, there's a lament in there, which we studied in our all-church study. He's lamenting to God, which is okay. Then he talks to self. And he talks to, about the hope that he finds in God. So David doesn't just listen. He talks. That begs the question, what to say to self? What do you say to self? Whenever we lose a loved one, we look for comfort, especially during a time like Christmas. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. But if you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with. And in the end, despair. C.S. Lewis. See, C.S. Lewis, rather than listening to his own desperate thoughts, he spoke truth to his thoughts. Rather than trusting his feelings, he challenged them. Rather than talking about the truth of the gospel as something out there for other people, he applied it to himself personally. Praying to God, he preached hope to himself. I read some things that a, a woman named Nancy Guthrie wrote. She wrote a book entitled, Ever Better, Even Better, than Eden, even better than Eden. Nine ways the Bible story changes everything about your story. Now, Guthrie was a guest contributor to Bethlehem Baptist Church under John Piper. So he sort of covered this. Nancy Guthrie affirmed King David and C.S. Lewis by writing, but when we are the ones who are grieving, what is far more important than what other people say to us is that what we say to ourselves. And what we say to ourselves in between sobs, when we have more questions than answers, when the emptiness feels overwhelming, when anger is getting a foothold in our heart. Is that you? Are you at a place in your life where you're going through a trial? You're in a period of transition? You've just experienced a loss? And that's what, that's what you're feeling? What do you say to self? What you say to self is the truth of Scripture. Guthrie continued to write, So, as we search for something to grab hold on in the midst of grief, 
what will bring comfort. Or as we search for words to say to someone else who is grieving, we want to make sure that we are grabbing hold of or offering to someone else to hold on to a profoundly, fully, and eternally truth or true. When we are feeling, when we're reeling, reeling from the loss of someone we love, we look for something solid to grab hold of, to find stability in a storm of sadness and the clear and clarity in a sea of confusion. Some of the things we grab hold of are profoundly true and therefore proves to steady us in the storm. But some of the things we grab onto emanate from the vacuous spirituality and shallow beliefs of our modern culture, instead of from the solid truth of God's word. They may sound nice, but they simply aren't true. Or perhaps more often, they're only partly true. Some of the very spiritual sounding things we say to ourselves, we hear others say to us, in the midst of grief, have no scriptural basis or even contradict scripture. And so what Guthrie and, and Piper is trying to get across is, in times of suffering, like when someone is missing at Christmas, make sure we talk to self and tell self the truth of scripture and not just some nice saying that we hear in the world today. Let's visit one truth of scripture found in Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs 3, 5. Now this is an oft-quoted scripture. Used many, many times. Turn to Proverbs 3, 5. Many of you can probably recite this from, from memory. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So what does this verse teach us? What's the truth it teaches us? Trust God, not yourself. Trust God first, especially if it contradicts with self. So if God says there's hope and you feel hopeless, who should you trust? Your feelings of hopelessness, which is listening to self? Or are you going to speak to self about trusting in God? You know, we love this verse. We memorize it. We make plaques out of it. We choose it as a life verse. We recommend it to others. But do we live it? Do we live Proverbs 3.5? In our ministry project booklet, which is Walking with God in Seasons of Change, I, which we mentioned at the beginning, it's available for you in the lobby. Pastor Kenny mentioned last week that there's one line of emphasis regarding the journey of transition and losing a loved one required in a journey of transition. So you, when you lose a loved one, you are in a transition. Isn't that correct? You're in a journey of transition. Here's the sentence that's in the book or booklet. In the trial of transition, we train our hearts to trust God in God as he brings transformation in us. See that phrase? We train our hearts to trust in God. That's Psalm, or that's Proverbs 3, 5. Here's what I learned from Piper, Guthrie, and Proverbs 35, 3, 5. There are six words to say through tears. Six words to say through tears. I really like this. I thought this was so profound. These are the words. I can trust God with this. I can trust God with this. Whatever it is you're going through. Is someone missing at Christmas? I can trust God with this. I can trust God with the timing of my loved one's death. I can trust God with the way my loved one died. I can trust God with the unknowns about my own future. I can trust God with the unanswered questions until faith becomes sight. 
I can trust God to heal the hurt. I can trust God to fill the emptiness. I can feel, trust God to, f- to fill my darkness with light. I can trust God to restore joy to my life. I can trust God to speak to me through his scriptures. I can trust God with sufficient grace and divine power to face whatever is coming my way. I can trust God to cause us to work together for good and for the good of others impacted by what has transpired in my life and that God will conform me to the likeness of Jesus. I can trust that God will someday show me the resurrection that is promised in scripture. And even more so, and maybe especially if we're unsure that the person who died was genuinely joined to Christ by faith. What happens if we don't know if they knew Jesus? I can trust God and that he knows who belongs to him, even if I don't know if my loved one belonged to him. I can trust God to do what is right, even if I don't know what God is going to do. I can put my trust in God who is merciful and loves to save, even if I don't know if my loved one trusted in that mercy and took hold of that salvation. I can still trust God with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. That's living that verse in our very lives, especially when someone is missing at Christmas. Six powerful words to say through our tears when someone is missing at Christmas. I can trust God with this. Let me end with an appeal. You know, you can give the sweetest gift a family can receive. You can give the sweetest gift that any family could ever receive. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 15, it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, the most indescribable gift at all time. You know, we go through, you ever go through a white elephant party? Where you exchange white elephant gifts? And it's amazing that people give these gifts to someone. Some of these white elephant gifts are indescribable. But that's not the kind of indescribable that scripture is talking about here. Indescribable of a white elephant gift is in the awful sense of a gift. But indescribable in this verse, it's about the beauty and the wonder and the marvel of God's son coming down on Christmas morning. There could could never ever be a greater gift than that. But the sweetest gift a person could receive or give is the gift of letting your loved ones know that you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So then if you happen to be the one who's missing at Christmas, and someday you will eventually be missing Christmas, your loved ones can know that you will be with Jesus. Some of you have been invited here by your family because they attend church here. They're part of this church family. And you have yet to confess the name of Jesus. I mean, you know about him kind of understand what you're supposed to do, but you've hesitated. There isn't a better gift you can give to your family that confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's the sweetest gift you could ever give them. Because on the day that you will be missing at Christmas, they will know exactly where you are. Now, you have to believe for yourself and not just for them, but that's the net result. I'm going to give you some time to meditate on the thoughts of this morning's message. Many of you have already lost someone. 
and are going to be missing them this Christmas. And again, I'd like this message archived so that someday you can draw upon it if someone you love will be missing from Christmas. And during the time of meditation, we're going to hear a song that has ministered to thousands who have someone missing at Christmas. Then I'll share a reflection. Let's pause for a moment and let's pray. Father God, we thank you in Jesus' name for using all kinds of means to minister to our hearts, primarily your word. But Lord, you also use other things. You use people to comfort us. You use music and songs to comfort us. You use moments of reflection to comfort us. Thank you for that comfort which comes from above. Thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Now please continue to meditate on the thoughts. What would Christmas be like if it were missing the sounds of Christmas? From the first Noel to the little drummer boy. What would Christmas be like if we were missing a Christmas tree and the brightly packaged presents under it? What would Christmas be like if it were missing all the decorations which make the season seem so festive and joyful? What would Christmas be like if it were missing all the Christmas cards with pictures taped in the shape of a tree on your favorite wall or door? What would Christmas be like if it were missing the last-minute trip to the mall for, an un- for a forgotten present or a personal treat? All these things are wonderful reminders of the things we enjoy each and every Christmas. If they are missing, Christmas will be a little less glistening, a little less inspiring, but Christmas would still be Christmas. But what, if, what would Christmas be like if it were missing one of the most crucial elements that brings joy to the season? What would Christmas be like when someone is missing at Christmas? In the year 2004, someone was missing at Christmas. Our clan celebrated Christmas without the matriarch of our family, great-grandma Yuki. We missed her greatly. Then one short year later, in 2005, someone else was missing at Christmas. The Ishida clan observed Christmas without the second in our matriarchal line, my sister Carolyn. She was prominent by her absence. And even though she was celebrating Christmas in the presence of her Lord and Savior Jesus, make no mistake about it, she was dearly missed. Christmas without a beloved family member will never quite be the same. There is an empty seat at the table. There is a Christmas stocking missing on the mantle. There is an ornament that is conspicuous by its abject absence or its profound presence. There's a family Christmas card with someone missing. The season is not the same when someone is missing at Christmas. When someone is missing at Christmas, it is time to talk to self, to speak the truth of God into our melancholy and mournful lives. Truth be told, the only necessity of Christmas is the Christ of Christmas. Christmas without Jesus is missing the essence of the celebration. If there never was a baby born in a stable, if the Word were not made flesh to dwell among us, if God the Son did not leave His throne in heaven, there would never be a Christmas. Christmas without songs to sing would still be Christmas. Christmas without a tree, without presents, without decorations, without cards, 
without shopping, and yes, even without a fruitcake, would still be Christmas. Even if someone is missing at Christmas, Christmas will always be Christmas as long as the Christ child is in the manger. I will miss my dad at Christmas. I will miss my mom at Christmas. I will miss my sister at Christmas. It will never quite be the same, but it will still be Christmas. And this is good to know, for changes will occur in the future. Things will not always be the same. And in the midst of it all, my family will always be able to celebrate Christmas future, even when someone is missing at Christmas. And now in 2018, someone may be missing at your Christmas. A spouse, a mom, a dad, a grandparent, a sister, a brother, a child, a dear family member or friend may be missing this Christmas. May the truth of Christmas be spoken into your life. Christmas will always be Christmas as long as Jesus is celebrated. And if your loved one knew Jesus, then you have the assurance that there with the Son of God, there with the Prince of Peace, there with the one whom we're celebrating. And may our hearts be hopeful, though the season is bittersweet, because we know the one we love has filled another seat. For another banquet table abounds with joy and love for those who have made the journey above to be with our Savior, Jesus Christ. This Christmas season, may we celebrate the faith that is the heart of Christmas, the hope that lies ahead in heaven, and the love of those we hold in our arms and in our memories. It seems so fitting that at Christmas worship service that we give an opportunity for people to, to receive the sweetest gift of all and maybe share the fact that you have received that gift with your family. So let's take a moment and pray. And I'm going to invite anyone who would like to receive Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior this Christmas to do just that right now. Let's pray together. If you never asked Jesus to be your Savior, if you never asked Jesus to be your Lord, if you would like to make this Christmas extremely special, and if you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ and receive the sweetest gift of all, you can do so by repeating this prayer after me. This is the prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe you are God's Son, that you died on a cross, that you rose from the grave. I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I ask you into my life as my Savior and Lord. Now, if you close off that prayer with an amen, and if all head, with all heads bowed and eyes closed with the exception of our pastors, if you ask Jesus to be your Savior this morning, would you please raise your hand and raise it high so one of us can see it? Please raise your hand and raise it high. Thank you. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Raise it high. Thank you. Father God, thank you for the sweetest gift of all that came on Christmas morning. And Father, there may be others who are just hesitant to make that confession of faith. I pray, Lord, that they will be able to do it personally on their own, just asking Jesus to become Lord and Savior. And then, Father, give them the courage to share it with a family member. In fact, Lord, there may be some who have made their confession of faith this morning and who just wasn't able to raise their hands. Compel them by your Spirit to let a family member know this Christmas celebration. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you that Christmas is a season of hope, tremendous hope. Thank you, Lord, that you spoke into that hope this morning. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.